Scripture passage for Pastor Tim's message is Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 31. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who created these, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary." They shall walk and not faint. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to one of my favorite passages in all of the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 40. 
And this passage has ministered to me throughout my lifetime, sometimes extremely timely and very powerfully. And uh, I'm hoping it's going to minister to you as well. So Isaiah chapter 40, and we are in our summer series called God's Unsecret Identity. And I'm going to explain that a little bit in this message. When I was a little boy, I think I was around eight years old, and I was sitting at the, at the top of the stairs in the home that I grew up in. And for whatever reason, my young mind was trying to contemplate living forever and ever in eternity. A really interesting thing happened to me. I remember this like it was just yesterday. Dizziness and a disorientated feeling overcame me. And I think now I understand what happened is my finite mind was trying to grasp and comprehend what is infinite. That has happened more than once in my life. There are attributes of God that we can really understand because we actually share them. Like the attribute of God that we began the series with, the attribute of love, we love, we are loved, we can experience that. But the attribute that we are going to look at today in God's unsecret identity is one that we do not share. It is one that we have not ever experienced. It is outside of our existence, outside of our capability. It's outside of our reality. Yet in Isaiah chapter 40, we have an invitation that God gives us through his prophet Isaiah to appreciate and to know the infinite nature of God. Well, you probably have guessed that's the attribute that we're going to look at. So again, I want to ask you, if you haven't done it yet, let's get your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look really closely at the infinite nature of God. And I'm going to give you several points. Here's the first one. God invites us to know him. God invites us to know him. Well, you've turned to Isaiah chapter 40. Let me explain to you a little bit of why we're calling this God's unsecret identity. Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Here's what he prayed. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So to the proud... God hides himself. Now, this is actually theology. To the proud, the person that boasts in himself, who really doesn't want anything to know about God, God will actually hide himself. But to the humble, to the childlike faith, God delights to make himself known. And we see this invitation in Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to look at it in verse 9. God wants to, to reveal who he is to his children. It's his unsecret identity. Let's read verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. 
I mean, who doesn't love to give good news to somebody, especially when you have the best news possible? But the best of the good news is the declaration that God will save sinners from the bondage to sin when they have faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the best of the good news, that Jesus came to save Here in Isaiah chapter 40, and you really want to know the background because this will help you understand how it relates to us. Isaiah is down in Jerusalem as a prophet, and he is writing this chapter in a letter that's going to be sent all the way up to Babylon, where a lot of the exiled people of God were forced to live. And he has good news for them, that God is going to save them out of their bondage. And he's going to bring them home to Zion. He's going to bring them home to Jerusalem. So Isaiah is actually writing to those who are in the biggest, worst, most difficult trial of their lives. And God knows, and God hears, and God is mighty to save. He directs God's people, Isaiah does, to behold your God, to know your God, to see your God. And by the way, Christian, I want to tell you that God has the same exact message for you. He's inviting you to know him. You know that, right? He's wanting you to know him. He's revealing himself to you. He's not hiding himself to you, from you. So he's giving you, he's giving me an invitation, behold your God. And that's exactly what Isaiah is about to help us do. So the first point that I wanted to bring to you that Isaiah does, God invites us to know him. But I want to move on, and there's a second point. God's infinite might and gentle love go together. God's infinite might and gentle love go together. Now, my brother, John, I have three brothers, Steve, John, and Paul in that order, and they're all older than I am. And my brother, John, owns a company. He does construction. He does excavation. He has backhoe. He has a skid steer. He's got an excavator. He's got all kinds of heavy equipment. And back in 1995, before I came to Cornerstone, which was 1996, I worked full-time with my brother up in central New York. And I'll never forget a time that we were digging a leach field for a septic system, and I was down on my knees in the trench while my brother is up in the backhoe, and I saw a really fat, really long, juicy worm. And I picked it out of that trench and I threw it through the open cockpit of the backhoe and it landed right on my brother's shoulder. All wriggling, gelatinous, wet, messy worm. He didn't really appreciate that. Here's what he did. I'm on my knees in that trench. He took the the digging bucket of the backhoe and he pushed me with the bucket right against the side of the trench and slowly began to exert pressure until I was definitely uncomfortable but not yet injured. I marveled after that. I was a little angry, but after that I marveled at how such a powerful machine 
could actually be used with such precision, even in a strange way, gentleness. Well, the point is this, God's infinite might and gentle love go together. And Isaiah is about to show us that the infinite nature of God is kept in balance when you understand that God is also our good shepherd. He is gathering us in his arms. He is gently leading us who are his lambs. Now look at what it says. Behold, verse 10, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Now look at the gentleness. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young, that are with young. Christian, do you ever feel that God is being harsh with you. I talk to a lot of people that feel that. I have felt that before as well, that God doesn't care, that God is treating you roughly. I want to tell you what Isaiah is communicating to you. He's invited you. He's, in, he's invited me to behold your God. And then he helps us see that while he is mighty, he is gentle. He cannot be rough with his children. He will not be rough with his children. He is our good shepherd. And Jesus promises us, Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, that he is gentle and lowly in heart. But God is not some weak but kindly grandfather God. There's so many people that view him like that. That he's powerless. Oh, he's nice. He's wonderful. But he's not that mighty. That's not who our God is. And Isaiah is about to hammer that truth into our minds until it is firmly attached to our theology. Point number three, look, behold, and see his infinite nature. Look at verse 12, and I really want you to read these verses with me. Can, I hope you have your Bible open. Let's be people of God's word. It is the authority over our lives. We gladly submit to it, yet it is the means who, through which God reveals himself to us. Here's verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? See, we live in a world where we measure everything. We plug in our destination into, our, into Google Maps or some form of GPS, and it tells us how many hours, tells us how many miles a trip's going to be. We step on a set of bathroom scales, and that tells us whether we should have dessert with dinner. We measure how much flour goes into bread, how many gallons of gas it took to fill the car. We've got clocks, we've got watches, we've got little battery icons on our smart, smartphones. We, lived, we live in a measurable world, and friends, we like that. It gives us some control, some forewarning, some consistency in life. It is also one way that we actually image God. 
living after our creator, whom Isaiah just said, measured out all that there is, oceans, the size of our planet, the distance between the stars. God measured all of that. So when we measure things, when we enjoy measurability of life, that's one way that we image God. But God is so great, he's not even measurable. And it's not because we don't have a measuring stick big enough to measure God. It's because it's not possible to measure God. And here is why. And now we're in the meat of the attribute of God's infinity. Whatever is measurable, are you hearing this? This is critical that you understand this. Whatever is measurable belongs to the finite because it at some point has a boundary. It has an end. It had a beginning and an end. So if something can be measured, it is part of this earth and it is finite. But there is no point, there is no edge, there is no line that confines God. There is no size, there is no weight that can measure God. He is infinite. He has no end, he has no beginning, there is no boundary, there is no ability to measure God. He has no limit. In fact, his love is without limit. Have you ever contemplated that? God cannot, in his infinity, not love you. It's a double negative, meaning a positive. He loves you, and he will love you forever. His faithfulness to you is limitless. His mercy is new every morning. It cannot end. And the reason for all of this is because God's nature is infinite. Now, I'm willing to guess that some of you have never really cared to meditate much on the infinite nature of God. I'm going to tell you that if God was not infinite, he is finite, he is part of this world, and he would not be a God worth worship. It's his infinity that makes all of his attributes so massive, so incredible, so immeasurable. Look at what Isaiah said in verse 12. The God who measured out all things is himself immeasurable, verse 13. He has no beginning. He has no end. He fills eternity from everlasting to everlasting. And Isaiah, friends, listen, he's just warming up. He's going to help us behold our God in his infinite might. Look at verse 14. Let's be a people of God's word. Look at it with me. God never had to figure something out. He holds all knowledge. Nobody taught God how to do anything. Look at verse 15. If we gathered all the glory of all the nations on earth in a cosmic-sized bucket... It would amount to one drop in comparison to the glory of God. If you put it all on a set of scales, it would be as weightless as the dust on the scales. It would not even need to be wiped off because it would not even budge the weights of the scale. Look at verse 16, if all the great cedar trees of Lebanon were used to build an altar and set it on fire and take all the animals out of Lebanon and sacrifice them for a burnt offering on that pile of wood, it would not be worthy of God. 
Look at verse 17. Isaiah is hammering the infinite nature of God to us. If the might of all the nations was arrayed against God, it wouldn't be enough to even get his attention. And then Isaiah concluded his thoughts by asking a question in verse 18, and it's one that you ought to be asking your own soul. Who is there to compare God with? And the answer is rhetorical. There is nobody. You see, we measure something by the standard of something or someone else. Let me say that again. We measure something against a standard of someone or something else. I'll give you a few examples. If you bench press 225 pounds at the gym and you get off that bench and you yell a booyah and then all of a sudden the guy on the bench next to you puts up 425, all of a sudden you don't really seem that strong. Last Saturday, I biked 20 miles. I felt pretty good about it. The very next day, Peter Bernsdorf and Joyce Kossenbader biked 50. It didn't really make my 20 look that great. You might have a 130 IQ that's top 2% in the world, but compared to Einstein's believed to be 160, you know, really, that's not so great anymore. So how can we measure God against a standard if he's infinite. There is no scale. There is no test. There is no one to compare God with. He is infinite. He has no measure. He has no limit. Maybe you've seen the Star Wars movie, The Phantom Menace. And if you've seen it, you'll doubtlessly remember this scene when uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Jar Jar Binks leave the underwater Gunga City in a transport. Do you remember that scene if you've seen the movie? And they're going in that underwater uh, scene when a large sea creature grabs their ship in its open maw, in its mouth. And they are helplessly in its power. But then a massively larger underwater creature snatches the first creature, freeing the ship. And Qui-Gon says the famous line to Obi-Wan, there's always a bigger fish. Now, friends, I want you to hear me. That is a good analogy to understand exactly how we should not understand the infinity of God. Here's what I mean. You don't go from a single-cell amoeba and then scale up to an animal and then to a human and then to an angel and then to God. That's not possible with the infinity of God. Animals, humans, angels, we all exist within time and space. And we have measure. We exist within the finite. But God exists outside of time and space. He is without measure. He is infinite. And this, by the way, was the conundrum. This was the problem that Solomon recognized when he wanted to build God a house. He says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. One of Job's friends recognized the problem. He asked Job, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit 
of the Almighty? And the answers are no. Nobody can. Because God is infinite. We are finite. He is immeasurable. We measure everything. And he is without the ability to be measured. But the infinity of God is out of reach to us. You know what the problem is? Here's what happens. It tends to move us all to what Isaiah will tell us next. Look at verse 19. Here's the universal problem. You have it. I have it. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. And here's what Isaiah is saying. Because we cannot measure God, because he is infinite, and because we are finite, here's what we do, and we all tend to do it. We want control so we create a God substitute. Finally, something that we can manage, something that we can control. And it stems from the reality that God is infinite. You cannot ever control him. So we'll find something that indeed we can. That's the making of an idol. Idolatry is not just something that taxi cabs put on their dashboard. It's not something that icons that you put on a shelf and that you bow down to. That, that's old, archaic idolatry. Yes, parts of the world still does that. The idols, Ezekiel 14, have moved into our hearts. Our idols exist in here. Yes, they may have tangible representatives. They may be really nice cars that we cannot afford to get, that we think we have status by owning. They may be a really large house that we think when people see it, they're going to look, wow, you are so successful. It may be beauty that we crave and that we surgically find out how to get, thinking that we will be loved if we're beautiful. So they've moved into our hearts Idolatry is the turning to something that is created and finite that you can have a measure of control over. But godly worship, worship of our infinite God, is the glad abandonment of control. The turning to the one who is infinite. The relinquishing of the throne. The power, Isaiah says, to overcome an idol is behold your God. And Isaiah will tell us in verse 25, to whom will you compare me? God is speaking that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host, the stars, by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one star is missing. You see, the power to overcome idols, overcome addictions, overcome false worship, the power to do that is to look up on high and see the infinite might of of God. Here's the problem, Christian. And I'll phrase it this way through questions. When's the last time that you spent 
a considerable part of a day meditating on God. When's the last time that you took one day a month and got apart from all the radios, all the music, all of the Facebook, all of the YouTube, all of the electronic devices, and got apart from people and just got by yourself with God and spent time thinking on him and his word? See, we're filled with frenetic busyness. We are so busy that we don't have time to do that. We don't make time to do that. So God is reduced to something that we can manage, something that we can anticipate, something that we can control. And that's the making of an idol. If you find yourself in the grip of a power that is greater than you, an addiction, a pattern in life, And lift up your eyes on high and see the greatness of his might, his infinite power. And Isaiah is about to show us what's going to happen in your life if you do. Here's the final point. The beautiful truths of God's infinite nature. Now I'm going to give you a few results that you can anticipate happening in your life when you look up on high and see, when you behold your infinite God. Here's the first one. Because God is infinite, he always knows your struggles. What a glorious truth this is. Can you read it with me? Look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. I wanted to read that again because now it's going to lead into this. Why do you say, O Jacob? And why do you speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? In other words, why are you saying... That God doesn't see my struggle. This is the God that put all the stars in the sky by his glorious might. This is the star that keeps track of all those stars. So that not one of them them is missing without his awareness. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God, I hope you're hearing this. This is one of the most comforting things I think I'm probably going to tell you in this message. God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. You see, this is the infinite nature of God. He has the the immeasurable, incomparable, infinite ability to stare at you, to watch over you, to have you squarely in his sights every moment of your life. Friends, you've got to let that settle into your heart. You have all of God's incomparable, immeasurable, boundaryless attention every second that you live. 
A lot of people experience doubting in their soul in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a long struggle. They're going to say, does God even see my pain? Is he hearing my prayers? Does he care? I'm going to tell you what Isaiah is telling you. Behold your God. Look up on high and see. He is infinite and his infinity stretches into every one of his attributes. If he's going to hold you in his vision, he's going to hold you perfectly as if you're the only one on this earth. Can you imagine how comforting that that was for the exiles up in Babylon? They're slaves. They're stuck in Babylon. They're, They're in a grip of a power that's too strong for them. They want to get home. A lot of them did. They wanted to get back to Jerusalem. They could not even sing Songs of old, it says they hung up their harps on the poplar trees. They couldn't even sing and worship to God. Their souls were crushed. And yet Isaiah is telling them, God sees everything going on in your life and he cares infinitely. But there's another point, because God is infinite, he knows exactly how to help you. Look what he says in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths, even young people shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. God is without measure in his understanding. He knows us better than we could possibly ever know ourselves. And he knows the exact point. Parents, I need you to hear this. When you're praying desperately for your wandering, rebellious child whose faith is on the rocks, God knows the exact point that your faith could fail. And he will not bruise or break the bruised reed. He will not snuff out that flickering candle of faith that is right about down to the wax. He knows the point that he needs to intervene with might. He never gets tired. He never needs to recharge his batteries. He never needs to get away for a weekend and turn off his phone and select Uh, put his uh, email on automatic vacation response to all the inbound prayers. God never needs a break. He never sleeps. So let that truth dawn on you. That's his infinite nature. When you wake up in the morning, when I wake up, I think the first thing we should learn to do is recognize that we needed sleep because we are finite. We live with boundaries But God doesn't. He is incomparable. He is immeasurable. He does not need to sleep. He does not need to slumber. Therefore, he is so infinitely above us that it brings humility to our souls. Sit on the edge of your bed. Before you get out, before you get moving, meditate. God didn't sleep last night. And guess what he did? He watched over me while I slept. He who has all power and strength can surely help the weak and the faint 
and the discouraged, and our infinite God will do that. But finally, because God is infinite, let us learn to humbly wait on him. Look at verse 31. I love this verse. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Have you ever really dwelled on what it means to wait for the Lord? That word wait, this is the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. That word wait, listen to this, it means to bind together, likely by twisting like the strands of a rope. Now you might be thinking, well, what on, what on earth does that actually mean? What are the implications of that? Well, how does that fit in on, into wait on the Lord or wait for the Lord? Here's how it fits in. It means to bind together. Parents, you're going to understand this. When you're going through hard times, when you're discouraged, your strength is running out, your faith is ebbing away, what does God want us to do? He wants us to grab the hand of our infinite God and squeeze and hold on tight. And I'm going to tell you, he's got a grip that will never let you go. The very next chapter mentions it twice. His righteous right hand will hold you up. Like a child when he is scared or she is scared and she takes the hand of her mom or her father and grabs on for all their worth. That's what it means to wait for the Lord. If you grab his hand and you hold on with everything that you've got, do you want to know the secret to renewing your strength? Here's the secret. And Isaiah has been giving it to us. Behold your God. Lift up your eyes on high and see, and wait for the Lord and renew your strength. Don't for a moment think, I hope you hear this, don't for a moment think that you can skip the first steps and get this, the last one. I don't want to behold God. I don't want to have to meditate on the scriptures. I don't want to need to think about who God is. I don't want to lift my eyes up on high and see. And I don't really want to wait for the Lord. I just want my strength renewed. And I really want this trial ended. But God will not do that. And if somehow you found a shortcut out of that trial, I'm going to tell you what our loving God will do for you. He's going to bring another trial your way so that you can finally learn how to behold your God, how to look up on high and see, and how to learn to wait for the Lord. See, God wants to be known by you, Christian. And he has revealed himself to you. So be amazed at his infinite nature. Lift up your eyes on high and see. And grab his hand by faith. And do not let go for anything. You shall run and not be weary. And you will walk and not faint. Now I want to close with an appeal. So don't turn off the message yet. And by the way, we've got more singing coming. I want to make an appeal to you. I want to encourage you to notice what Isaiah was doing. He is encouraging the beleaguered, scared, struggling people of God. Now hear this. 
Is that not what we do in growth groups? Is that not what we do for each other as we gather together to behold our God, to lift up our eyes on high and see, to see him clearly, to grab his hand together. And if somebody's grip is loosening because their faith is weak, don't you want to come over and don't you bring your hand on top of theirs and help them learn to squeeze and hold on? That's what happens in a growth group. They're where we love one another, John 13, 34. It's where we build up one another, Romans 14, 19. It's where we teach one another, Colossians 3, 16. It's where we encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. It's where we stir up one another to faith, Hebrews 10, 24. It's where we pray for one another, James 5, 16. Friends, if you want to experience Maximum spiritual growth here at Cornerstone Church. Do more than just attend a worship service. Get into a growth group. That's where real growth happens. And to get you started in that direction, simply email us at grow at cornerstonechurches.org. Grow at cornerstonechurches.org. Well, here's what we looked at as I close. God is infinite. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me. Behold your God. Open up your eyes. He's going to reveal himself in a way that maybe you have never seen him before. And he's going to show you his infinite nature that is without boundary, that has no edges, that has no beginning and no end. And his infinite nature permeates every single one of his attributes. He is infinitely holy. He is infinitely gracious. He is infinitely merciful. He is infinitely knowing. He is infinitely unchanging. He is infinitely self-existent. This is the infinite nature of our God. And he is worth looking up on high and seeing. He is worth grabbing hold of his hand and waiting for the Lord. And the result of all of that is going to be a strength that comes back into your soul and a humility that you have never had before. That's what happens when you behold the infinite God that you have. I want to invite you to do that this week. Can I just encourage you, don't get out of that bed Get it into a discipline. Write yourself a note and put it next to your bed on the floor so you see it right when you wake up. Stop and look up because your God did not sleep. He watched over you because he doesn't need to sleep. And you're the only one on the planet in his infinite attention for you. It's as if you are. That's your God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you and I thank you for your infinite nature. To me, this is one of the most exciting attributes that you have. Lord, every single attribute that you possess is infinite. And Lord, that is not something that we can share because there's nothing in our lives on this earth that is infinite. Everything is finite. Everything has a beginning. Everything has an end. You can measure it all. But Lord, that is not you. 
And what comfort that brings when we are in the midst of a trial, what power that brings when our faith is weak, what humility that brings when our prideful hearts have pursued an idol that we could control, and all of a sudden you remind us there's no life at the end of that idol. It will strip you bare and leave you desolate. Our hope is in the worship of our God. So Isaiah has invited us, behold your God, look up on high and see him, wait for the Lord, bind together with him, and he will renew your strength. That's the power of Christian life, and that's the love of our infinite God. Thank you, God, for being infinite. May we understand that even more. May we discipline ourselves to stop before we even start our day and look up and behold and wait. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless Cornerstone. Hope you have a great week.